Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. Well, it sure is a busy Tuesday in the NFL. Nine o'clock this morning, the Titans announced that they and Rashard Matthews have agreed to a contract extension. The deal is for one year, according to our field gate, worth $7.5 million. How about Victor Cruz? He is done. And guess what? He's about to be a teammate of ours tomorrow. He makes his debut on NFL Live here. Then around 9.30 this morning, Panthers offensive lineman Matt Khalil underwent arthroscopic surgery on his right knee. The team says he'll be evaluated on a weekly basis. And if you think about it, guys, this is the third Panthers alignment to suffer a knee injury this preseason. And then around 1045, Eagles coach Doug Peterson says that Nick Foles will play Thursday against the Browns despite injuring his shoulder last week against the Patriots. All right, so the shoulder seems to uh, really have progressed enough for the Super Bowl MVP to see some action. They must feel confident that he is good to go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to NFL Live. We got Coach John Fox here, our insider Adam Schefter, and the great Louis Riddick next to me. I'm Diana Rossini. So, guys, let's just start right here. Stay talking about Philly. Lou, beginning with you, what do you make of the Eagles situation and the decision to go with, with Nick Foles in this preseason game number three? Yeah, it just sounds to me like they're continuing on with the rehab protocol that they had already set forth with Carson Wentz, and they're not going to deviate from it as long as Nick Foles is healthy and they're not jeopardizing anything as far as his throwing shoulder is concerned. They're just going to continue to move forward. And look, I, I've always said all along they have the luxury of time, and as long as Nick is healthy, they still do have the luxury of time, with the intent being as soon as everyone, and I mean everyone from ownership on down, feels comfortable with the fact that Carson is ready to go at in the live 11-on-11 situation, they won't put him in there until then. So I think it's just business as usual with this football team. But when Nick Foles went down on that play and grabbed his elbow and was moving gingerly in the locker room after the game, they were concerned that he was going to miss some period of time. So the fact that he's back at practice and that they're going to play him Thursday night tells you that they're entirely comfortable mm. with where he's at and this team can proceed as planned with its plan for the opening regular season games should be two weeks from Thursday night. We're getting close to that right now. So they're going to have to make a decision here pretty soon, and at least Nick Foles will be available to them. And I think we all agree at this point in time that Carson Wentz, who was diagnosed with that knee injury, doctor said six to nine months, it would be, or nine to 12 months, ambitious for him to be able to start that opener. Mm. So if he can't go, and I would think that that's the way it's pointing right now, Nick Foles will be ready to go if he wants. Yeah, I think at all costs, it's not going to even matter to them what Nick Foles' health situation is. They're going to take their time and be patient with the franchise quarterback, and there's no doubt. All right, I know Nick had the Cinderella story maybe of all time and definitely of last year coming in and winning that Super Bowl, but Carson Wentz is the guy here, and they're going to take care of him at all costs. So, Adam, at this point, though, where can we say, or who can we say is going to probably start week one? I mean, I know they still have to evaluate. There's still some time. but There's still time. They're still evaluating. I think the signs point to Nick Foles right now, subject to change in the next two weeks, subject to the medical staff signing off on Carson Wentz being able to go, subject on the owner, Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Lurie, signing off on him being able to go. But Carson Wentz himself said this week that if he were to return sooner than the nine-month period that doctors projected, that the injury rate, the incident of injury rate is higher. So... To your point, Coach, they're going to be very, very careful. And because they're going to be very careful, that would tell you that you would think that you would see Nick Foles in opening night 
But we'll see Mm -hmm. how they handle it in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of healthy quarterbacks, in the second game in 19 months, Andrew Luck says he is very encouraged by his own play and the rest of the Colts last night in the second preseason game against the Ravens. Let's go second drive of the game. Luck drops back in the pocket, rolls out, tries to force the throw. And here's where he's picked off by Adam Levine, the Baltimore safety. So versatile, guys, right? Play safety, corner, linebacker. Yeah, this is one of those situations where the chemistry between him and his receiving core is just not quite the same. He's expecting the receiver to do something else than what he did, and you get a pick like that. That's not something to be real alarmed about. They'll get that. Just not the best decision-making no, at that point. No, All it, right. it's cool, though. Let's go third uh, drive here for Luck. Drops back, finds his tight end. Jack Doyle for the 16-yard gain, and, hey, it, it works. Yeah, this is uh, he's been very effective throwing the ball between the numbers. He's been good here. Here you see him again negotiate the pocket. Find a hit about a 15-yard tight end spot route over the middle of the field, and you're going to see him hit a slant here. It's on time, down and away from the defender. Probably could have kept it up a little bit, but he's been good negotiating that area of the field so far. And, Lou, we always talk about how he was among the slowest in the league at getting rid of the ball, and it seems that this is something he is trying to work on improving. This was all before that that shoulder injury that we were always saying that that was the problem with Andrew Luck. So he played five series on Monday, finished 6 of 13, 50 yards and one interception. Here's Luck. I'm sort of happy to have been sacked by, you know, Suggs and, and you know, and, and a legit, like, you know, sack. I was like, oh, I landed on my right elbow. It's sort of reminiscent of what how I injured my shoulder many, you know, a couple of years ago. And I uh, didn't feel anything, didn't didn't give it a second thought. So uh, I think in, I think that's actually a big deal for me, <laughs> you know, and, and, and being able to sort of lose that, you know, that, that, thought bubble if you will that thought cycle he certainly uh, seems excited to be out there but, but coach just based on what you're able to see from those highlights what's your takeaway about Andrew Luck's performance at this point well you could tell they were going to use a little bit quicker protections get the ball out quicker that's why you didn't see as many vertical passes the other reason is T.Y. Hilton didn't play all right so that'll that'll negate that some too but you know I thought he looked comfortable in the pocket the one sack that he talked about with Terrell I'm sure was a big relief for him I mean that's I don't care how long you've played and what you've done. You're coming off injury. You haven't played in 18 months. You know, that was a big sigh of relief for him. Uh, but, you know, all in all, I thought he's about where you'd expect him to be. I think he's going to go nowhere but up and just get, continue to improve. Yeah, he, you know, what's, what's interesting about him is even when he was healthy, even before he hurt his shoulder, Andrew's release and his arm action is not one where you sit there and you go, man, that's a violent, you know, very powerful throwing motion. It's very smooth and very finesse looking. So even like right now, like to my eye, it doesn't look any different, but I just want to see him throw the ball just for, my, I don't want to say my own peace of mind, just so you can totally say, okay, he's totally back. I just want to see him take one down the field. And I know it could be by design, exactly as Coach just alluded to, that they're not pushing the ball down the field. I just want to see him do it. Not because I'm sitting there trying to say, well, see, he's not healthy, yeah. but just because I want him to be healthy and so we can all enjoy what is really a transcendent type of athlete. It's a question. Yeah. Right? And we're sure. sitting there watching the game last night. We're yeah. saying, is he going to throw the football down the field? Because there was not a throw that went longer than 19 yards the entire night. And again, that may be by plan. That may be no T.Y. Sure. Hilton. They may be saving that for opening day because they want opposing defenses to, to think not have any awareness yeah. that he can throw it long, for all we know. But you didn't see any long throws. The throws you saw were short and sharp, and they had velocity. So that wasn't the issue. But you didn't see him open it up and air it out. Every time he went back, 11 yards, 15 yards. Eight yards, 10 yards. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And you just you just want to see it. And, and that doesn't mean, look, every 
Like every offensive play call is not a nine route on the outside where you're throwing it 40 yards. We get that. Look, really, offensive football is just about getting first downs and scoring touchdowns. And if that means you throw 10 10-yard routes, then you do it. Just want to see it for his own rehab. And let's not forget, I mean, this is a new offense. I mean, Frank Reich is, you know, installing a new offense. This is new for everybody. Mm -hmm. Even the sack, you could tell that was a protection issue. That should have been picked up, Mm -hmm. and they had a breakdown in the protection. So I'm sure their main goal was to get the ball out quick, Mm -hmm. make sure they don't put him at risk, Mm -hmm. and I think they did a good job of that. I know uh, Luck touched on the fact that getting hit by Suggs just sort of felt good for him. If you're his coach, are you encouraged that he's getting hit out there and getting working through that mentally – knowing that that could be a problem. Well, I think, I mean, I don't think a coach ever wants to see <laughs> exactly. a player do it. Don't touch the quarterback. Especially, especially playing without Andrew Luck the last two seasons. I know yeah. those coaches didn't like that. So, you know, they, they had that. They were very mindful of that, yeah. and they should be. Yep. All right, so um, the other quarterback in this one, that, of course, being Joe Flacco. Um, you know, Flacco, 7 for 9, 72 yards. He had a touchdown pass to John Brown. He's had a really strong camp, two solid preseason outings, a 137 quarterback rating, of course, First-round pick Lamar Jackson saw some action. On the other hand, he was a bit erratic out there, 7-15 of for 49 yards, but did also throw a touchdown in the Ravens' win. So just based on what you guys were able to see, Coach, I'll start with you. How do you think Joe Flacco is looking at this point in the season? I I think he's been outstanding. And let's not forget, I mean, they were very disappointing last year, their offense, all right? So they made some big strides and some collection of guys. You know, you saw the great, great throw to uh, John Brown. You know, got Crabtree in there. And, and look, let me tell you what, players, when they play with a chip, and I think Joe is to a degree, you know, your team goes out and takes a quarterback very high. Uh, you know, this this can get a guy going. And I think, you know, I'm not saying that's the main reason. He's a pro, and he's always trying to get better. But I'm sure that might have nudged him a little bit. Oh, for sure. Adam, do you think that there is going to be any controversy here going into week one that Lamar Jackson should see no. more action no. over Joe Flacco? No, because Lamar Jackson is going to have his role. They're yeah. carving that out for him. It's going to be in the red zone, on third downs, in certain spots where they could use him. Marty Morningwig has done that before with Michael Michael Vick in Philadelphia. He's going to find certain packages, certain plays that work for Lamar Jackson. Let's not forget the fact that he's completing 42% of his passes this preseason, and there are issues and things that he needs to work on to improve in his game. And the Ravens have Joe Flacco. They can afford the time right now for Lamar Jackson to work on those types of things to improve in those areas before they bring him along as a starter, which we all expect that they'll get to. It's just not going to be this season, we don't think. They also got Greg Roman there, who worked with Colin Kaepernick. There, yeah. There's an, another tool they can, working with a running quarterback. But Robert Griffin III's on the roster, too. I haven't been able to figure out what they're doing there. What, what do you think they're, they're going to do here, Lou? I, I would venture to say that they go ahead and they keep three quarterbacks. In the event that something would happen to Joe, maybe they feel more comfortable putting RG3 in there to actually run the full complement of the offense from a – Maybe a traditional, you know, pocket setup type of uh, scenario, and they then don't have to continue to rush Lamar and put him in a situation where he wouldn't really succeed. Now they may go against conventional wisdom and say, "Hey, look, you know what? If Joe goes down, we drafted this guy number one, and we're just going to go with two quarterbacks." Yeah. But I doubt it. I think they'll keep three. But let me just go back to Joe Flacco here for a minute. What's interesting about him is, see, because of his contract that he had signed a while ago and that put him in the upper echelon of highest paid quarterbacks. People expected him to be one of those guys who just lifts everyone all the time by virtue of what he's getting paid. I think we all know that that's not who he is and how much better he is looking now that they've improved the personnel around him, like 90% of the players in the NFL. So I don't think it's any shock that Joe is playing much better, although it seems like people want to just continue to pound him and say he's not very good. Yeah. I'm telling you, I think this, this offense, without a doubt, is going to be the surprise offense of the year as long as everyone stays healthy 
and they can stay relatively balanced. It's a big year for everyone. The surprise offense of the year. No, Well, I mean, last year, they, look, we talked about it. They were abysmal. Yeah. Okay, yeah. they couldn't run it or throw it. And they had no weapons. Now, John Brown's legit. Michael Crabtree's one of the best intermediate receivers in the league. Best and Hayden player. Hurst, for a rookie tight end, has it all. If they, Marty Mornwig is on the spot as far as getting, trying to utilize all those guys. So, I mean, I'm excited about this offense. I'm excited for Joe Flacco. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, so from Joe Flacco in his 10th season here to Buffalo's Josh Allen starting his first game this Sunday. The Bills have named Allen for, or named him the starter for preseason game three against the Bengals. We know Buffalo traded up to the number seven pick to take Allen, who they hope will be their franchise quarterback for the next decade or so. Uh, so through two preseason games, Allen has completed 18 of 32 passes, 176 yards, two TDs, no turnovers. All eyes on his arm strength and his athleticism out there on the field. So we know over the weekend on Friday night against the Browns in Cleveland, A.J. McCarron went down with that injury. You know, Adam, I was there that night. There was concern that he was going to be out for a very long period of time. So what do we know now, Adam? Well, I think the surprise is, is that when he went through tests, that he did not have the hairline fracture. And in fact, Diana, the Buffalo Bills never believed that he had the hairline fracture. They thought all along that it was a bruise. And that is indeed what it turned out to be. So he's going to be back at practice soon, maybe even as early as this week, which means that they don't have to make a decision now without A.J. McCarron in the mix. And I'm not telling you that A.J. McCarron is going to beat out Josh Allen anyway. Josh Allen may be the best quarterback in camp so far, but A.J. McCarron will have his chance to vie for that starting job and may the best man win. You know, Adam, I was in the locker room after that game talking to LaShawn McCoy specifically about the quarterback situation. And he said at this point, all these quarterbacks, they're basically all rookies. None of them really have the experience. Why not play the guy you drafted who you hope to be the future? So, you know, this is just a player perspective. Obviously, he's not the one making the decision. But, John, if you're making the decision, what are you going with? Well, I think it says a whole lot that they're going to start Josh Allen in week three of the preseason. You know, typically as a coach, that's the one game that you play your starters into the second half or at least entirely the first half. Everybody's a little bit different. But this is the game you try to simulate that opening season uh, game as much as you can. And the fact that they're starting Josh Allen in this game, I think, says a lot. It tells you they want him to win the starting job, Mm -hmm. right? It tells you that if he goes out there this weekend and plays well, he's going to be the starting job. let's be honest. Everybody here, I mean, I don't care if you're a rookie, a second-year guy, or an eighth-year guy. These coaches want to start the guy that gives them the best chance to win. I mean, everybody in that locker room knows who that guy is, and so do these coaches. So, you know, again, this is going to be about what's going to give the Buffalo Bills the best chance to win going into the season. They construct Buffalo constructed their quarterback room differently than everyone else who was drafting a young quarterback. This is the only team that really doesn't have an established starter there to mentor the young guys. So, really, it makes the – Quarterback competition, a lot more objective, meaning, I mean, best guy plays. Just best guy plays. You're not going to defer to any veteran because there's no veteran to defer to. And when you have a guy like this who is head and shoulders athletically better than the other two, mm-hmm. I think it really is. It's easily leading in that direction, even if, isn't, even if it isn't necessarily what's best for this player because every coach I talked to said this is the guy who's the least ready to play yeah. and really was thrown into a situation that really didn't lend itself to developing him with someone around him who could help him, which is – Kind of strange that they put it together that way. Uh-huh. And Shaq Lawson, we all know about Josh Allen's arm strength, but Shaq Lawson has compared him to Deshaun Watson in terms of his athletic ability and the way he moves his feet, which is a hard concept to grasp. But Shaq Lawson played with Deshaun Watson at Clemson, played yeah. with Josh Allen here in Buffalo. He thinks that Josh Allen is like Deshaun Watson, which is hard to imagine, but it speaks mm. to the athletic ability of the quarterback. John, how concerning is it that that quarterback room doesn't have a veteran? Because if it doesn't work with Josh Allen, 
you know, who are they going to go to, A, because the options aren't that great, but also who's mentoring him, who's helping him adjust to the, you know, to, to the NFL? Well, I'd, I'd say his coaches. You know, I think that's number one. And really, to be honest with you, I think, you know, A.J. McCarron, he's, he's, he's started some games. He's had to play. Uh, Nate Peterman was a guy we had in the Senior Bowl that I think, you know, I mean, he's, he's a decent guy. Now, he had a rough outing in his one start, all right, but – uh, you know, Josh Allen, the reason they took him so high is they, they obviously liked him. And yeah. I think, you know, he ran a program, albeit Wyoming. I mean, he made that program. Uh, so he's done it at that level. So he's no stranger uh, to the, quote, big time and getting put in a yeah. big spot. The Bills certainly have a different situation. than let's say the Cleveland Browns, who have Tyrod Taylor, the New right. York Jets, who have Josh McCown in there with all those years of experience at 37 years old. Uh, 39 years old, actually. All right, so if Allen were to start week one, Buffalo would join the 69 Cowboys as the only teams in the Super Bowl era to start a rookie quarterback in a season opener after making the playoffs the previous year. Hall of Famer Roger Staubach started the Cowboys opener that year after Craig Morton dislocated the index finger in his right hand during the preseason. Back here on NFL Live, it's time to go inside the headline as we dive into the news from around the league. This one is up there on ESPN.com, and it reads, Jets GM Mike McCagney praises unflappable Sam Darnold. Obviously, we're hearing tons of great things about the rookie quarterback. So, Adam, I want to start with you. What is the Jets' plan at quarterback for Game 3 against the New York Giants? Well, I think they'd like Sam Darnold to win that job. Go out there, play him, start him, have him win the job. Now he's got to go out there and do it. Teddy Bridgewater is still vying for that job. Josh McCown is a great guy to have in the locker room, in that quarterback room. But to me, this is Sam Darnold's job to lose, just like it's Josh Allen's job to lose in Buffalo. And we've had a rookie quarterback start in the NFL week one for 10 straight years. This will be 11. The question is, is it Darnold or Allen or both? Mm -hmm. But I think at least one of those guys will be starting the regular season opener. And you're going to hear some people say, well, they've got Josh McCown there. They've got Teddy Bridgewater, who's impressing. Why not start Teddy Bridgewater? What do you think? Well, I, I think, and I've thought all along, it's Sam Darnold's job to lose, just as Adam alluded to. And I think it's important to remember that as, much, as well as Teddy Bridgewater is playing both subjectively when you watch him play and execute the offense and statistically, you know what? So was Sam Darnold when he played against the Falcons and he played against the Redskins. He's had some very good decisions and put the ball in some very good places. And that is not to take anything away from Teddy. But the fact of the matter is this. Context is always important. You have to take into, a, into account what the play calls were for Sam Darnold versus the play calls for Teddy Bridgewater, what the level of competition was for Sam Darnold versus the level of competition for Teddy Bridgewater, plus all the things we don't see, which is what is going on in the meeting rooms and classrooms, to make them continue to heap praise on Sam Darnold. Now, obviously, some people will say, well, he was their high-round pick, so of course they're going to heap praise on him because they want to justify the fact that they're going to start him. Well, every team does that. Yeah. That's why you draft him that yep. high. Of course you're going to support him. And unless he absolutely falls flat, there's nothing you can do. They're going to put him in there. And to my, to, to my eye, and every time I've watched Sam Darnold, there's nothing that tells me that Teddy should just start over him. There's nothing that tells me that, that that's There's the nothing case. that no, clear that's no, going. No, it's not. And, and, I, and look, I understand people have their favorites. And Teddy has a lot of support in the league, and he yeah. should. He's, it's a great story, especially what he's coming back from. But this is Sam Darnold's football team. Mm -hmm. And everybody in Jets Nation knows that. And until proven otherwise, he's on the fast track to start. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. I'm pretty sure our new house might be haunted. What makes you say that? The furniture is levitating. Oh, and the ghost. Welcome home. Yeah, that's, that's spooky. You know what's really scary? Missing out on GEICO for help with homeowners and renters insurance. GEICO makes it easy to save a bunch. Great. 
Uh, you're not sticking around, right? The party's just getting started. <laughs> Happy Geico Week. Call today and see how easy homeowners and renters insurance can be. Buffalo got over a big hump last year, guys, right? Ending its 17-year playoff appearance drought, but they haven't tasted victory in the postseason since Jim Kelly and company took down a Dan Marino-led Dolphin squad in the 1995 Wild card round. So, guys, we were all watching this video together. We see Coach up there talking to his team. John, you've done it before. What's that like when you have to come up with a message for your team, stand in front of all those guys, and, and sell what you believe in? Well, it's all about being a you know, head coach. That's really what you do is set the tempo for that football team. You get goosebumps looking at that, you know, watching that. It's, it's the biggest thing players and coaches miss when they're away from the game. Uh, but, you know, I mean, stuff like what Sean's doing, the three E's, you know, enthusiasm, effort, execution, teamwork, together everybody accomplishes more. Those type of messages and that culture uh, is really develops a really good team and a really, really good football team can overcome talent. What do coaches do in the offseason to prepare for what their message is going to be? Like, how did you come up with what you were going to talk to your guys about when the season started? Well, it takes a lot of work. You always want to have a theme. You know, people print T-shirts. I mean, you have to, especially when you're doing it for a long time. I was the head coach in Carolina for nine seasons. And, you know, you look around the league and guys like Andy Reid or Bill Belichick have been doing it a long time. It's tough, all right, because you're dealing with the best on the planet that do what they do. And you have to motivate that every day. Yeah, what's interesting about that, and I, and I think from a player perspective now, if I just, you know, kind of switch my mindset, I think the kind of coaches that players most uh, organically dial into are the players or the coaches who you can tell are just being authentic about who they are. And look, that is Sean McDermott to a T. This is a guy who was a former high school wrestler, a guy who is all about effort, who's all about doing it the hard way, coming up the hard way. So when he said talent plus habits, he wants to be a part of talent with no habits. He doesn't want to be a part of that. That's what he's all about. He, he really is about the work. And he is about as blue collar as it gets. And he's extremely, extremely intelligent. And in that short clip, all of that came through and it came through naturally, which I think players sit there and go, OK, I can buy into this oh, right yeah. here. And you're right. The goosebumps instantly start prickling <laughs> up because you start going you know, when it's combined with music and TV makes it more dramatic. But I mean, it is. It's pretty cool to hear him give that message. The, the one thing that stood out, though, is he had the attention of that room. It looked like he commanded the respect of that room. Those guys were sitting there and they were intent upon everything. He was you know, he didn't take that from someone else. That's just him. And, you know, and player, you know, players can always call out a fraud. They, can, they just can, and they'll quickly tune out. Mm-hmm. He's real. We've got our annual week one Monday night football doubleheader. Kicking off on September 10th. Lions hosting the New York Jets in the Motor City at 7.10 p.m. Eastern. Then at 10.15, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, the Rams in Oakland. Taking on John Gruden's Raiders. Both games will be simulcast on ESPN2. And, of course, on that ESPN app. All right, well, certainly the big story in the league right now. Lots of confusion, frustration about the new helmet rule, and it's really reached this level now. Our Chris Mortensen reporting the NFL is having daily dialogue about the rules application and will assemble an updated training video to distribute to game officials, coaches, and players in time for the regular season opener. Meantime, Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer told The Athletic this. He says, it's going to cost some people some jobs, playoffs, jobs, a whole bit, I'm guessing. It's just hard to figure out. No one has ever said to me, hey, don't worry about it. We're going to call it less. We're going to get it straightened out in the regular season, or we're going to come up with a revised rule. No one ever said that. All right, so it is Tuesday here on NFL Live, so we love playing this game panic or patience we pick a topic and we decide whether we're to panic and freak out over it or we're gonna be patient and wait it out so at this point lou are you panicked or patient 
about the helmet roll? I'm going to say I'm patient for now because obviously they understand that it's a little bit of a, a problem and an issue with some of these coaches, Coach. And look, I've talked about this ad nauseum about how annoying it is, the inconsistency here. They just need to get it right. Otherwise, it, this could turn to panic very quickly throughout the entire league. You agree? Are you agreeing with him, Coach? Yeah, I mean, unlike most of the free world, I'm going to say patient as well because I've seen so many of these rule changes or points of emphasis, and there's panic around the league. You know, I look at uh, Coach Zim's, you know, response. Yeah. And right now, I understand it. You know, half of the time, it's defensive players and coaches that have to deal with it. All right, so whether it was the defenseless receivers or, you know, how much you could rough up the quarterback – all these things, players and coaches, what they do is they adjust, and especially on defense, and I think I'll be patient to see they're going to roll this back about as poorly as they rolled it out. Yes. Everyone's patient, and I'm patient <laughs> okay. too, but it's going to be interesting as soon as we see an offensive player thrown out of a game, especially if it comes in the regular season. Can you imagine yeah, going yeah, into the yeah, game keep and Jordan Howard keep is thrown out of the yeah, game yeah, in the first yeah. quarter when uh, you're coaching the Bears <laughs> and you got your whole offensive game plan yeah. in? That'll be fun. Uh, yeah. You know, it's going to be <laughs> fun, <like> panic <laughs> or patience after week one. When we, I bet you we're going to have this conversation again. We'll see if you guys are still being patient by then. We shall see. But meantime, in that same game, that, uh, or at least where Zimmer was talking about, uh, we also saw this quarterback, that thing, Blake Bortles, didn't really have a very strong game against the Vikings. You know, when he was up against that first-team defense, the offense, they really struggled to move the football outside of, a few, you know, basically a few screen passes there. A nice third-down scramble by Bortles to put the team on the goal line. But overall, it was just an, an okay uh, performance out there for Blake Bortles. Lou, last season, you spent a lot of time on this show singing the praises of Blake Bortles here, impressed with, with what he was doing, at least towards the end of the season. So mm. now, here we're at, panic or patience on basically what you're seeing from Blake? Oh, I'm panicked. And you know what? I, I don't know. Look, look I, I tell you what, look, I, I know he had a few good games late in the season. I wouldn't say I was singing his praises, though. I'm, I'm going to correct you on that one. Because I, 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 I do not trust the guy's level of consistency. And you saw it in that football game right there. Look, when it is a first and ten play action type of pass where he has single one-on-one covers on the outside and the reads are very simple, Blake can look very good. Yeah. He can look very good. Look, Remember the Pittsburgh game last year in Pittsburgh. He looked spectacular on first down, and they came up with some spectacular play-action pass concepts that really got some people wide open for him. When it's third down and the and the game is on the line and the pressure has ramped up and people are getting after him, I don't trust him. I don't trust the decisions he's going to make, and I don't trust his accuracy. So, look, if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars front office, I'm panicked as far as how far can this guy actually take us. Well, Last year at this time, just gonna say that. we were having the same discussion. And in fact, <laughs> yep. I think it was the third preseason game that he fell flat on his face and Doug Marone opened up the competition mm-hmm. to the last game. And then they decided to go with Blake Bortles hesitantly when the season started. And he led him to the AFC Championship game into Foxborough and almost won that game against the Patriots. So this is a team that's not going to win behind the strength of Blake Bortles. It's going to win with that great defense. It's going to win by running the football. It's going to play differently once the regular season begins. So, again, I'm not telling you Blake Bortles is the best quarterback in the league, but and I'm not telling you I'm going to be singing his praises like you were last year, though. I was not. That, hey, you know what, can, yeah, absolutely. I, I, can, we just, can, can we let the record stand that I did not? I think we got to go back and look at the tape. I know, we got to look at this hey, tape. Please here. go get it. I think please. that Lou is running a burner account on Twitter for the Blake Bortles facts. I think that's what's going on. I put words but in Lou's mouth. Gonna, he's gonna, no, to get done what I think the Jaguars need to have done this season, and if not, then we could panic and get a new quarterback yeah. next year. Uh, well, guys, don't forget, Bortles had six games at least in 80 QBR last season, tied for the most in the NFL with that's Carson what, Wentz. That's what Lou was singing for him. There he goes. See, Lou, you're mm. on to something. 
right, back here on NFL Live. Adrian Peterson, now a Washington Redskin, the former NFL MVP is now going to fill that void at running back. You see the headline in the Washington Post today. And Adrian Peterson today, we actually got to get a look at him in a few seconds here. What it looks like of him wearing the burgundy and gold. But first, let's just get to what his role is going to be here with this Redskins team, Adam. Well, let's be very clear. First of all, the Redskins did not invest very much in Adrian Peterson. It's a one-year veteran minimum deal. So if he's unimpressive, they don't have to keep him on the roster. But if they like him... I could see where he would have a role on first down, maybe second down, maybe some rundowns. They've got other backs that can do a lot of different things like Chris Thompson, Samaji Piran, Rob Kelly. And Adrian Peterson, first and foremost, has to win that roster spot. And if he does, then obviously maybe he takes some carries on first and second down because there'll be strength in numbers in the Washington backfield this year. But he's not the Adrian Peterson at 23. Mm-hmm. He's Adrian Peterson now at 33, who's averaged three yards per carry. The last three years. Yeah, I just noticed, by the way, he's wearing 26, the great Clinton Portis. That was his mm-hmm. number mm-hmm. with the Washington Redskins. So uh, maybe he'll bring some production there for Washington, who could certainly use um, some backfield action there. All right. All right, not so long ago, Eli slinging the football up and down the field on opposing D's after a 2015 campaign where he was arguably the best in the league at pushing the ball 20 yards or more downfield. The vertical passing game really has not been there for him over the past couple of years. Eli's 11 picks on such throws in the past two seasons are the second most in the NFL. So lots of excitement in New York, especially on this offense right now. We've got a new head coach. We've got Saquon Barkley. We've got a healthy Odell Beckham Jr. And an Eli Manning who seems to have just a little tiny chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. uh, trying to prove all the haters uh, wrong. So when we take a look at this as a whole, guys, in terms of who Eli needs to help him be successful, how, how would you rank this? Yeah, when we pull this up here, look, like philosophically – I think we're going to differ a little bit about how it looks. But you know what? I'm going to go here. I'll start here. Fourth most responsible for Eli Manning. And then people are going to go, well, how can it be Odell Beckham? That's who he throws the football to. Well, I think this team is being built in a certain way this year in terms of it being more run-centric, play-action pass-centric, and kind of taking maybe a lot of the responsibility off of Eli and kind of putting it on the offensive line and putting it on Saquon Barkley. But look, there's no question that Odell Beckham, they need him in order to get where they want to go ultimately. I'm just saying, though, in this hierarchy and the way we're going to put this, I think really he's going to be the beneficiary of all these other things working first. Coach, Let's what do you think? Where would you say four? Oh, I'm, I'm actually going to go with the, the rookie. That's uh, Lou's guy. That's only because I'm coach. saying, I don't know. But, I mean, look, no doubt there's a talent there. All right? But he is a rookie. He is going to be that kind of role in the locker room and in the whole equation. Uh, so I'm going to have Saquon as the fourth most responsible. So you're, you're just saying because he's the young guy. Can, yes. Can cut a, him yes. some slack. He's a rookie, but he's the second. Second overall pick. I understand that, all right? But I'm just, though, the yeah. hierarchy of a John, you know, John, John, you know he was touched yeah. by yeah. the hand of God, right? Yeah. Yeah. I get that, yeah. but I'm just telling you what I think, all right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go third most responsible then for yeah. free last success. And, you know, and this is where I'm, I'm going to put Saquon, because, look, as talented as he is and as good as he is and as likely as he may be the first overall pick in my fantasy draft, he Ooh. is still someone who is going to be dependent upon the other players, the other factions that we're going to rank here. But there's no question that the reason why they drafted him was to take a lot of the pressure off of mm-hmm. Eli and make things easier for Eli. And, look, if they really thought that they needed to replace Eli, they would have drafted a quarterback. They think they can still get more out of him by virtue of the fact that they have this kid here. Yeah. So he plays a very vital role. No okay, question. Okay, Coach? 
All right. I'm going to go with Odell Beckham. And again, I'm uh, going to go a guy with a proven pro bowler, win healthy, uh, big, big difference on that team you saw a year ago. Whether he was in there or he's not in there, all right? That was part of the struggles that the New York Giants offense had, in my opinion. He's a matchup nightmare. Uh, you know, it's going to be very, very critical uh, for him to be a part of that success. I think you guys kind of have similar ideas here. They can Absolutely. be really flipped yep. either way. All right, so let's go second. I'm, I'm interested yeah. in what you think here. Yeah, well, as soon as it comes up. Ah. What's interesting here is, ah. look, these next two could be flip-flopped. I mean, I think you could yeah. find people who will go either way with it. Obviously, the head coach is the most important because he's philosophically set in the direction of the franchise, right? So everything they do, especially on the offensive side when it comes to Pat Shermer, is going to be predicated on what positions he puts them in. But because of how I'm looking at this on the football field, what's going to be number one is really going to determine how this whole offense rolls. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious maybe what that's going to be. But <laughs> I'm interested to see I'm yeah. interested what a coach is going to think in terms of the second. Well, you know who he yeah. thinks is most <laughs> important. <laughs> well, we're, we're not that far off, all right? We've who do you kind of flipped a little bit here on, on seniority. But <laughs> Giants O-line. My, my, my <laughs> next O-line all right, is, Guess who's first. <laughs> is, is the O-line, all right? Yeah. In my experience, all right, if you don't block – He's not going to be a factor, and neither will yeah. he. So right here, second most, and again, it, it can flip-flop, and we're doing process of elimination, but it, oh, yeah. you have to block. And that was a big breakdown for them a year ago yeah. in that offense, and I think it's going to be very critical this year, and I know they've put a lot, a lot of emphasis on that uh, and, and continue to do so throughout the rest of the preseason. Yeah, of course, bringing in Nate Solder, and yep. Coach was talking on ESPN Radio about how Eric Flowers has really done a good job developing switching sides. He's now on that right side. He says he feels really good about this O-line, mm-hmm. which – you know, much improved from what we were hearing last year, at least towards the end of the season. So, Lou, the most responsible element. Sure. And this offensive line, look, we're talking about Eli Manning's success. Eli's not doing anything without this offensive line playing better. I don't care what Pat calls. I don't care what Pat philosophically wants to put into place. If they don't block, Eli's hitting the dirt, and he's not going to throw the football. He's already shown that. He's not going to stand in there and take hits anymore. He's just not. So if this, if this unit right here falls flat, everything else is just going to, it's just going to trickle downhill from there. Well, last but not least, okay, I'm going to go with Pat Shermer, the head coach. And you just look back to a year ago with what the Rams did with Sean McVay. Just, you know, as far as schematically and concept-wise, what they're doing, you know, I know uh, Jared Goff was look, talked about around the league about being a bust. Well, all of a sudden now nobody's talking like that anymore. Yeah. So I think that's going to be critical, not putting too much pressure on Pat. But, again, putting players in position to succeed, to me, is mm-hmm. the name of the game. And we've heard both Coach and Eli talk about how they speak the same language. There's an understanding right. of the offense, obviously, because they they both have so much experience together, at least combined. Um, we got some news actually coming across right now. Um, Ralph Asciano from SNY tweeting this out that Odell Beckham is going is doing really well in practice, according to Pat Shermer. But will he play against the Jets on Friday? Of course, this is preseason game number three, and coach is going to keep it mysterious. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, hint, don't bet on yeah, it. I don't think we'll, we'll see him either. Yeah, yeah uh, it, it seems would it would it make sense to do oh, we need to play him? You know, third preseason game. That's a big rival in this in that city. Uh, yeah. Jets and Giants, and you know sometimes they can get a little chippy. Are you ready for your draft? 
Lou, you ready to dominate your league? There's no doubt. Lewis Riddick is playing fantasy football for the first time this year, Coach. This wow. is it. He thinks he's going to win. He I took Saquon. First overall pick. He, he said he's taking oh. Saquon today. I know. What do you? You missed thinking? that. We glossed right over that. So is that no, confirmed no, or not? That was a real draft. That's confirmed. I I'm, heard, not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not tipping you off. Yeah. Schefter, I didn't miss it. I just was rolling my eyes and I thought that was ridiculous. How do you not take Le'Veon Bell or, or Todd Gurley? All right. Some new additions thriving with their new teams in Green Bay. Jimmy Graham's only target this preseason resulted in a red zone touchdown from Aaron Rodgers. How about Trey Burton? He's been great. Proven to be a big pickup for the Chicago Bears. The tight end showed out in week two, catching four passes for 45 yards, and he's got one touchdown already. How about in Atlanta? Steve Sarkeesian loves this guy. In the first round draft pick, Calvin Ridley had 49 receiving yards in week two with the touchdown from their backup quarterback, Matt Schaub. And how about Cardinals wideout Christian Kirk? He had a team-high 49 receiving yards with the TD from fellow rookie Josh Rosen in last week's win over the New Orleans Saints. And we talked about him earlier in the show. Teddy Bridgewater hit a sharp preseason for Gang Green, completing 74% of his passes with a pair of TDs, averaging over nine yards per attempt. So there's really just a lot of interest in what the Jets should do with Teddy Bridgewater because, you know, they just have a wealth of riches there in New York, of course, with Josh McCown, Teddy Bridgewater, and, uh, you know, the rookie quarterback, Sam Darnold. So, Adam, at this point, what are we thinking is going to happen with Look, Teddy Bridgewater? Not to say that he won't be moved, but I would say up until now there's been more conversation in the media about Teddy Bridgewater Mm. being moved, and there actually has been between teams about Teddy Bridgewater being moved. And we've got a situation here where the Jets would love to be able to trade him if they can, but you've got to find a team that's willing to give up a semi-premium pick, and right now, Teddy Bridgewater is vying for the Jets' starting quarterback job, so it's hard to imagine they're just going to deal him right now. And I don't see a team out there with a glaring need the way that the Minnesota Vikings had a glaring need when they lost Teddy Bridgewater to injury and traded the picks they did to Philadelphia to get Sam Bradford at that time point in time. There are teams that would like him and yeah. need him and use him, but it's not like somebody needs an opening day starter right now. It's not dire. In, no. In that, but, yeah, but sorry, the thought that I had was Tampa Bay. They, maybe that would be a good but option. Do you see Tampa Bay trading? A day no, two they're not going to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to get rid of it. I don't no. see that today. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. So we just went through all the different players that are new to these teams and who stood out. So I just kind of want to go around the horn of those guys that that we mentioned there in those in that video clip. Is which player has stood out to you so far during this preseason of guys that are on new teams, Coach? Well, I mean, the guy that I'm going to come up with is a guy that wasn't on the clips, but a guy that oh. I just heard a lot about being you know in Chicago, and that's wide receiver Anthony mm. Miller out of Memphis. I mean, he's a guy that uh, from every player I still talk to and every coach I've talked to, he's been the rave. And it's not been Alan Robinson. It's not been Trey Burton. It's not been some of the guys you hear in the media. But uh, he's really turning some heads there in Chicago. Well, I'm going to go with Trey Burton. He's been impressive to me. And I'll I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why he has. Because of the matchup problems he presents. When you look at him in his jersey and you look at number 80 out here, you think he's just a big wide receiver. And that's exactly what you thought of Zach Ertz when he came out of Stanford. And Zach Ertz is someone who Matt Nagy is familiar with in terms of philosophically how people like to use tight ends. He is going to use Trey Burton in the same way that Doug Peterson uses Zach Ertz. And he's going to be a problem this year for opposing defenses. I mark my word. And I'm going to go with another NFC North tight end, Jimmy Graham. We've seen the connection that Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Graham have there in the red zone in this preseason game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know that Drew Brees liked to throw to Jimmy Graham in the red zone. Russell Wilson liked to throw to Jimmy Graham in the red zone. And with the Green Bay Packers losing Jordy Nelson this year, I would imagine 
I'm going to bet that Aaron Rodgers likes to throw it to <laughs> Jimmy Graham in the red zone once again. Uh, certainly. That's why they brought him on. Graham led all tight ends with 10 touchdown catches last season. All right, so we got some press coverage from you. This is from our Chargers reporter, Eric Williams, in Los Angeles. Cornerback Casey Hayward suffered what appeared to be a hamstring injury, covering Mike Williams on a go-route near the end of practice. The Chargers lost another corner earlier in camp when Jason Verrett tore his Achilles. Seems like they cannot catch a break. Uh, they're out in L.A. Uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, not shy. Uh, this is what he tweeted out uh, earlier today. This is some sort of um, underwear ad that he's doing. The tiger doesn't come with it, apparently. Um, but, yeah, I'm not, I guess he's trying to sell that. And, and I don't know why he doesn't have a shirt on, but he doesn't. Uh, and it's all part of the marketing. Guys, um, thoughts? Would you buy that? Buy the, they better be paying him a lot. <laughs> Would I buy the Bentley? <laughs> Oh yeah, let's stick with that. Everyone will. We'll, let's all go in for the yeah. for, for the Bentley here. But let me say <laughs> yeah. this: that in, in, in that post today, where he's posting all about the underwear, yeah, Samaje Piron is one of the first comments. His former Oklahoma college teammate, and I will quote Samaje Piron on Instagram. All right, he writes, "Put a shirt on, little dude." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quarterbacks. Uh, you may not want to be showing all that. Look at uh, me, Graham. <laughs> uh, look at me, Graham. That is a uh, that's a good name for it. All right. Speaking of look at me, it is Hat Tuesday around here. So this is basically the time of the week where we basically pick one team coach or one player that we're just really into. I'm actually going to have Lewis kick this off for us. Mm-hmm. One player, one team mm-hmm. that you are all in for. Right so turn. what do you got? San Francisco. Jimmy Garoppolo. Like I said on Twitter, I think he's going to go down as being one of the best trades in San Francisco 49er history when it's all said and done when this kid's career is over. Just have a feeling about him watching his tape. Uncommon poise. Uncommon accuracy. And they love him out there as far as his work ethic and his football intelligence. I'm all in on this kid. Give me right, Jimmy. Coach, what do you got? Oh, let's see. I'm all in on the Los Angeles Rams. I think, you know, you saw what they did last year offensively uh, with Coach Sean McVay coming in, turning around that offense. Look what Wade Phillips does now with the addition of Akeem Tlaib and Marcus Peters, mm. both Pro Bowl corners. This defense is getting ready to make a big rise. You heard Coach mention before Anthony Miller. You heard Lou mention Trey Burton. So I'll just make sure that I go in with those guys. How do you do that to yourself? In on the Chicago Bears with all the rest of the offensive players. Mitchell Trubisky, better than people realize. This will be the most improved offense Don't hit in the, the NFL. Don't hit the top of your head or the crown of your head. Thinking, Adam. You look good with that. You look good. Like suspended. Yeah, right, right. We sort of touched on it earlier. I'm all in on Joe Flacco. I think competition breeds hmm. success. And he's got tons of competition there in Baltimore, or at least the idea that there's competition there. I think the conversation's always, is Joe Flacco elite? I think this is the year that Joe Flacco becomes elite. I'm all in. I like it. All right, that'll do it for us here on NFL Live. 